Good morning, beloved. Welcome. If you're visiting, uh, we're glad to have you with us this morning. As we can continue to study God's word in Exodus chapter 20. When Jesus was asked by some of his detractors to, to define God's greatest commandment, he answered Matthew 22. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these depend all the law and prophets. That is every single human being's responsibility is to love God supremely, worship Him correctly, and then love others sincerely. In other words, Jesus was summarizing the Ten Commandments. The very hinge upon which the law and the prophets sent by God are designed to teach. In order that we do not, first and foremost, be left to our own definition of who God is, what God is like, how he is to be worshipped. God defines himself for us. He defines for us what accepted worship is. We do not define that for ourselves. We do not define how we love God. We do not define how we love other people. The Creator does. The Creator has. And we notice that there is here an inseparable um, connection in our duties to man and our love for God. Love for man flows out of proper, correct love for God. Right relations with man flow out of a right relationship with God. And that's evident in the study that we're looking at this morning. As we come to what is called the second table of the law. Now Exodus 31 tells us that when God wrote down his law, he wrote it down on two tablets. Possibly meaning that he provided Moses with two copies of the law, as was a customary practice in the ancient world whenever two parties established a covenant. It's one possibility. Or possibly that it was divided into two parts. The first table being vertical, that is our relationship to God upward. And the second table being horizontal, our relationship with fellow man. But one thing we notice here in the second table is that loving our neighbor starts at home. Loving our neighbor starts at home by honoring our parents. Notice here, God starts with the family. As regards the the horizontal relationship, he begins right where we live and breathe, most personally. And that brings us to the fifth commandment in the covenantal history of Israel, which states, honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. This command, of course, is restated by the Apostle Paul 
as he addresses the church in Ephesus and Ephesians chapter 6, which says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Children, are you with me this morning? All right. All right. Adults who are also children, are you with me this morning? Follow along. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Notice, love for our neighbor starts in the home. If it fails there, it fails everywhere. Our nation, I don't think I have to tell you, is in the midst of a major crisis. We could spend this hour, this next hour, listing elements of that crisis. No-fault divorce. Babies being born out of wedlock. The overturning of traditional marriage between a man and a woman. And yet the fifth commandment also tips us to another cause to the crisis, and that is a lack of respect for authority. For the last 50 years or so, or so we've seen uh, diminishing respect for authority in our nation. In the 1960s, if you're not familiar... It was a a time of anti-establishment, anti-this, anti-that, anti-authority by a bunch of hippies. Young people in the name of love and peace rebelled against just about everyone and every kind of authority. Anything that could be rebelled against was rebelled against. One commentator that I read this past week quoted someone's analysis of that time. Annie Gottlieb, who was one of many participants who who identified the 60s as the generation that destroyed the American family. Okay, she writes, and I quote, We might not have been able to tear down the state, but the family was closer. We could get our hands on it. And we believed that the family was the foundation of the state as well as the collective state of mind. We truly believed that the family had to be torn apart to free love. And the first step was to tear ourselves free from our parents. End quote. The way to destroy a nation is to destroy the family. St. Augustine, long ago, emphasized the importance of the fifth commandment by posing a rhetorical rhetorical question. It goes like this. If anyone fails to honor his parents, is there anyone he will spare? Most likely not. Since the relationship between parent and child is the first primary relationship and the very foundation of society. We live in a generation marked by rebellion, ruthlessness. We live in a generation that's cut off from tradition, from wisdom, from experience and truth. I'm talking about the experience of tradition. And as such, our very own culture, I believe, personally, is a vivid portrayal of what we read in Isaiah 3. So I want you to turn there. Isaiah 3. And... This is God about ready to bring judgment upon Israel. 
upon Judah, upon the Jews. And I want you to notice the attitude of chapter, in chapter 2. First of all, verse 7, chapter 2, Isaiah, the land is filled with silver and gold. There's no end to their treasures. The land is filled with horses. There's no end to their chariots. So you have power, you have wealth. Notice, though, verse 11. The haughty looks of man shall be brought low. And the lofty pride of men shall be humbled, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. Notice now chapter 3, the prophet. Behold, the Lord God of hosts is taking away from Jerusalem and Judah all support and supply, all support of bread, and all support of water. The mighty man and the soldier, the judge and the prophet, the diviner, the elder, the captain of fifty, and the man of rank, the counselor, the skillful magician, the expert in charms. God's judgment, notice there, includes the taking away of people's leadership. He strips them of leadership. Verse 4, I will make boys their princes, and infants shall rule over them. And the people will oppress one another, everyone his fellow, and everyone his neighbor. The youth will be insolent to the elder. Does that, does that sound familiar? And the despised to the honorable. Notice verse 8. Jerusalem has stumbled and Judah has fallen because their speech and their deeds were against who? The Lord. Defying his glorious presence. The look on their faces bears witness against them. They proclaim their sin like Sodom, that is, unashamedly. They do not hide it. Woe to them, for they brought evil upon themselves. Verse 12. My people... Infants are their oppressors. Now, that is really to say uh, their oppressors are like playful boys, childish. And women rule over them, suggesting these are rulers weak as women. Just don't be offended, women. God is a complementarian. He's not an egalitarian. This is a sign of judgment. Oh, my people, your guides mislead you. They've swallowed up the course of your paths. The Lord has taken his place to contend. He stands to judge the people. Look at When honor for parents or respect for the aged is discarded, moral anarchy is at hand. You see the principle? The principle flows right into our generation. See, this here in Isaiah 3, beloved, is a picture of people who orphan themselves from their creator. It's as old as is the story of the fall. The consequence of people who refuse to honor God, having disdain and disrespect for God, the creator will show itself by breakdown within the family. It creeps into society, showing itself unashamed by way of exhibition, affecting government, stripping it of leadership that has any kind of ethical backbone, and showing itself in dishonor and disrespect for authority, authority, by the way, all of which is delegated by 
God. The Apostle Paul, in describing decadent culture and the description of what he refers to as the last days, that is the time which precedes the second coming of Christ, says this in 2 Timothy 3. In the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self. Sound familiar? Lovers of money. Sound familiar? Proud, arrogant, abusive, and notice, disobedient to parents. In Romans, Paul also, when describing the devolution of depravity, he describes men and women suppressing the truth of God in their unrighteousness. They exchange the truth of God for the lie. They worship the creature rather than the creator. They embrace foolishness, and they fall into the abyss of homosexuality. As men and women become filled with every kind of wickedness, the scripture says in Romans 1, God gives them up to a debased mind to do what not ought to be done. And then in verse 29, notice. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, and then in the middle of all that, and disobedient to parents. You hear that? Now, if you're tempted to think the Ten Commandments were only meant for Old Covenant Israel, this commandment ought to bring you out of your slumber and into reality. All right, so let's look at this. What's the general instruction of this, the fifth commandment? We're going to look at the general instruction of the commandment and then proper application of the commandment in the next hour. Well, number one, beloved, it teaches the general principle of paying respect to whom respect is due and giving to honor to whom honor is due. That's the general principle. Underlined here by the specific fundamental responsibility that children are to show to their parents. Children, are you with me this morning? Okay, follow along, okay? All those, all those little heads are nodding yes. Big children, you too. So God, we're told here, has established the home as the elementary classroom for a healthy society. As the home goes, so goes the city. As the home goes, so goes the state. So as the home goes, so goes the nation. No family, no child, no city, no state, no country, no church for that matter will ever give honor where honor is due, will never give respect where respect is due unless, unless those fundamentals of respect and honor are taught within the home. And I think you all do a great job of that, by the way. A parent's highest calling in life is to raise their children, to train them, to shape them in the ways that will benefit society and bring glory to God. That is to raise them in Christ. God has woven authority and authoritative figures into society. He's the author of it. If you've got a problem with authority, you have a problem with God. 
the way that children are to learn respect for those authoritative figures is to be taught in the home to honor their mothers and their fathers. Pretty simple, you would think. Children do not learn to respect and to honor authority on their own. Did we hear this? They'll never teach themselves these truths. This was illustrated for me with clarity last Monday. So I'm out for a walk, as sometimes I go for walks on Monday. And I cover about a 10, 12 block area in my neighborhood. So as I'm walking through my neighborhood, I see a young man, like 100 yards down, coming up this hill. So as I pass this kid, he's 18, 19 years old. I look at him and I say, good morning. He said, good morning, sir. I was taken back. Usually when I say hello to a youthful person in this day, it's, you know, a grunt. Or at best, I was so stunned it took me a block to, to to say to myself, I should have commended this young man for greeting me with a good morning, sir. So I prayed, Lord, on this walk, if it's somehow possible, if you see fit, that I could run into this kid again and tell him. 45 minutes later, I turned this corner. Who's across the street? This kid. So I run across the street. He doesn't know what to do. He looks a little defensive. (laughs) I said, excuse me. I said, can I ask you a question? He said, about what? (laughs) I said, uh, you know, when I passed you down the street there about an hour ago, I said, good morning, and you responded, good morning, sir. I said, who taught you that? He said, well, I taught myself that. I said, no, you didn't. (laughs) And he responded, my dad taught me. (laughs) And I put out my hand and shook his hand. I said, you give your dad a message for me. I said, you tell your dad he's honoring, he's raising an honorable son. He got all flustered. He says, I'll do that. He goes, have a great day, sir. (laughs) Honor. The word honor in this text has its root in the same Old Testament word used for the glory of God. It's a word that suggests weightiness, heaviness of God's divine majesty. It's weighty to honor. And what it's saying here is that the role of parent is so weighty, so heavy, of such substance that children are to acknowledge their role with honor. Reverence. Notice, this command flows out of the first four. You see that? Worship God only revere God only, and after claiming for himself exclusive rights of our reverence, worship, and adoration, God goes on to say, honor your parents. Revere your mother. Revere your father. And you cannot revere God if you do not revere mom and dad. Children, you cannot honor God. If you do not honor mom and dad. 
It is utter, utter folly to say my life is devoted to Christ if devotion is not shown to parents. Look at Leviticus 19, verse 2. You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Notice what follows. Next verse, verse 3. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father. You see, friends, for Israel to dishonor mother or father was to bring dishonor to the whole nation. That's what's in view here. And God took this very seriously. And he actually incurred the death penalty for dishonorable children. We're not talking about a four-year-old. We're talking about a young adult child who's living a life of debauchery and showing dishonor and disrespect to their parents. Notice Exodus 21, 17. Whoever curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. Why? Because to curse mother or curse father is to curse God. You curse God. Because parents are in a place, in a position that's been delegated to them by God. 40 years later, Deuteronomy, as Israel's ready to enter the promised land, chapter 21 of Deuteronomy, beginning in verse 18, if a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, will not listen to them, Some people just rebel against discipline. Then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him to the elders of the city at the gate of the place where he lives. And they shall say to the elders of the city, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He's a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. So you shall purge the evil from your midst and all Israel shall hear of it and fear. You got a problem with that, you have a problem with God. Now, although the penalty no longer remains, because the perfect son has come and has perfectly honored his father in the place of sinners like you and me, though the penalty no longer remains, be sure of this, the place of respect that God affords for parents has not changed. Has not changed. When we read, every one of you shall revere his mother and his father, that means both in attitude and in action. Children, children, we respect mom and dad in our attitudes and in our actions. Adults, you respect your parents both in attitude and in action. In mannerisms, in body language, with regard to eye contact, all of it should reflect honor towards parents. In 1 Kings chapter 2, the great King Solomon, he's taken his throne as king. Now, he's the most powerful king on the earth at that time. The scripture says that when his mama entered the room, we read this, the king rose to meet her and he bowed down to her. This is Solomon. So according to the customs of his day, He honored his mother even with his body language. He bowed down to mama because she's his mama. He's the king. That's my mama, said Solomon. 
So why then is there such an unbelievable disregard in our culture for such basic, fundamental, common sense aspects of life that are so much part of the past? Why? Why such blatant ignorance? Why such brazen disregard and, I'll say this, utter stupidity of people in our day? And the answer is due, beloved, to to a much greater disregard and a much higher level, and that is disregard and dishonor for the Creator. That's the problem. When people say, I believe God is like, to me, Jesus is like, what you're doing is creating a deity that will accommodate your rebellious attitude. That's it. And not the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you create a culture of foolishness and stupidity. Now notice this part of the command, honor your father and your mother. Do you know something about that? This obviously rules out same-sex parents. Honor your father and your mother. Because it contradicts what is natural having two dads or two moms. Mother, father, instituted by God. It's almost embarrassing for me to have to qualify that. But you know, I'm discovering more and more as I talk to professing Christians in our day, there's an endemic problem, and it's called a biblical illiteracy. It astounds me that how much of the professing church adopts secular thinking. Don't do that. Do not do that. It's staggering how gullible professing Christians are in our day. They claim to be in Christ. They would, they would furl their brow at this. Colossians 3. Children, obey your parents in everything, your mothers and your fathers. For this is pleasing to the Lord. Children, you cannot honor your parents by living disobediently to them in their homes. It's not your home, it's theirs. When you disobey your mom or dad, you're really rebelling against God. Teenagers, teenagers in love and gentleness, I say this, listen up. Respect your mom and dad even when they don't seem to get you. They just don't understand me. If they just don't understand you, you honor and you respect them anyway. You think they're out of touch, you show honor, you, res- you show respect with your body language and your words. Because let me tell you this, your body language or your dismissive words, your sarcasm, your refusal to listen to what they say, it may seem to you as no big deal. But let me tell you this, in heaven, before the Lord God Almighty, it's rebellion against him. Are you with me? So your real problem's with God. Now, parents, that doesn't mean that we're free to abuse our children, amen? No, we're not. 
We can't misuse our children or sin against our children. Our duty as parents is to raise them and teach them the ways of the Lord. Look at Ephesians 6, verse 4. Fathers, this is for you. Fathers, this is for us. Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, obviously, dads carry the bulk of responsibility within the family structure, especially in teaching and leading their children in the way of the Lord. We're not to do this in an abusive way or in a manipulative way, but in a kind of way that we're given according to the scriptures. This is our responsibility. And never forget this, dads. The real problem of our children is the one they've inherited from us. They, like you, they, like me, are lawbreakers. They come out of the womb breaking the law of God. They're rebels against God. So we have to help them and teach them to feel the weight of what it means to rebel. And then we have to point them to God's only remedy for forgiveness of that rebellion. We have to point them and teach them and groom them in the gospel of Jesus Christ so that they can see what God has done for rebels like their dads and moms an identity for which they now share. Amen? So our responsibility is to point them to Christ. That's why Jesus came, to save rebels from their sin, to save us from his wrath against rebels who break his law. This is why he came to shed his blood. So we as dads must teach our children God's holy law so we can teach them God's glorious gospel. Amen? the law, and his remedy for lawbreakers to guide them, to to, to instruct them so that they come to understand the glorious truth that God has revealed in his commandments and in his grace. Amen, dads? Dads? Amen. This does not mean that mothers deserve any less honor. Amen, moms? Amen. In Leviticus 19, notice who's mentioned first. Every one of you shall revere his mother and father. Now, there's a beautiful picture of a mother's love in the spiritual nurturing of her child as Paul wrote to young pastor Timothy. And notice what he said. 2 Timothy 1, verse 5. I am reminded of your sincere faith a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. Notice, you have a grandmother and a mother transferring doctrine, doctrine to young Timothy. His dad was a Gentile. 2 Timothy 3, verse 14. But as for you, Continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. This is Timothy. Knowing from whom you learned it, grandma and mama, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. That is Old Testament doctrine, which makes you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Notice the Christian home is the first, the child's first church. The Christian home is the child's first school. It is his or her first government. 
So moms and dads, we serve as schoolmasters in leading and teaching our children in Jesus Christ. Big responsibility, amen? Big with a capital B. Notice Proverbs 6. My son. Keep your father's commandment. Forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they'll lead you. When you lie down, they'll watch over you. When you awake, they'll talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light. And, don't miss this part, the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. The way of life. Life without reproof, it's not freedom. It's bondage. So parents, the truths there in that proverb, driven into the hearts of your children, combined with the faithful prayers of moms and dads, serve to instruct those children right into the future. And on those nights when they're in those places and they're out of your home, either for the evening or they've moved out of your home, these kinds of instructions mixed with the prayers of their parents will serve to awaken them. This is our hope. This is why we don't give in. So parents, when it seems as though in those adolescent years, you start to ask yourself, is this stuff really getting in? Lean on that proverbial truth. Amen? Is this really getting in? Don't give up. Don't disengage. I don't care if, I don't want to hear it. I don't, I don't, I don't have the same faith you and mom have. Don't give in. In love, continue to instruct. Remain engaged. Our hope is they'll come around. So when they say disengage, say, sorry, I love you too much. I love you too much to disengage. You're disengaged. I'm not disengaging from you. So even though some of them may seem disconnected from your care and counsel now, Don't allow them to remain ignorant. The children of Israel were not to remain ignorant as regards the great exodus that we're in the middle of studying here. It was to be made known. We are to make known to our children the familiar story of redemption and grace and mercy found in Jesus Christ alone. Don't give up. Keep praying. Stay engaged. Now, we must also see in this commandment It's not only an an express statement command as regards children within the home honoring their parents. We see, though, the principle of honor extends outward to other positions of authority. So as we take all the collective parts of Scripture, we know that they must honor teachers, school principals, police, bosses, governing authorities. We are to give respect to whom respect is due. The reason I honor the flag of the United States is for what it represents, for instance. We are always and everywhere, the scripture says, to obey the authorities over us. At home, our employers, governing authorities. Yes, the president, I don't care what you think about him, you show him honor in his office. And unless authority commands us to do something that God forbids or forbids us to do what God commands, then, like the apostles in Acts 5, we must obey God rather than man. That's all. 
Notice also we see submission to authority within the framework of the church given to us by God. God has given us pastors and elders that are responsible for the guidance and the discipleship of the congregation of Almighty God. Therefore, the scripture says, submit to them because they will give an account for how they led you. That's why I don't entertain you. That's why I want you to know what every word means by what it says. Because I'll give an account. No dance show. No funny shtick. But the word of God. Because we will give an account. You know, there are, there are folks within church and society who are to be honored and respected simply because they're older than us. That's what that young man showed me. I'm older than him. He showed respect to me. He was taught that. To honor the aged. So I think it's quite simple that the reason there's such a widespread negative reaction to authority in our day, be it parents, police, teachers, on and on it goes, is because they reject the authority of God over them. So as one who's been brought under the authority of God by way of his saving grace, we must submit ourselves to positions of authority because God has established them. Amen? We show honor. Notice the promise attached. Honor your father and mother so that your days may be long in the land the Lord your God has given you. Now, beloved, this is not a personal promise as much as it is in its original context, a national promise. The society that cares for and honors parents and honors and reveres authority is a a society that will endure. That's the first thing that we see. Now, the immediate application is, of course, to Israel and the promised land. But Paul, notice... He cites this text, and he's speaking not to Jews. He's speaking to a Gentile church in Asia Minor, and he gives the same promise, so that your days may be long in the land. So that tells us this promise far exceeds any kind of immediate geographical historical application. Notice the phrase, live long in the land. That's a Hebrew expression for the fullness of God's blessing. So we see far beyond Palestine. And and we look to the promise of a new heaven and a new earth that the Lord will consummate when he returns. Amen? That your days may be long. So it's not an unconditional promise. It's a proverbial principle that holds true. I know many obedient children that have died young and many wretched, disobedient children that live long lives. Perhaps but for the mercy of God. You know, my little brother died three years ago, 24 years old. He was so respectful to my parents, so honoring to authority. He's with the Lord. He's living long in the days, right, in the land. So we must see this not as a categorical individual promise, but a general, general promise. It regards social stability within a community where children honor their parents. Are you with me this morning? So notice, the promise is not to be seen as a motive. Okay, I'll just pull up my bootstraps, honor mom and dad so that my life will be long here. No. 
This command is not optional. So that you receive these blessings. The honor to be shown to parents and to authority is not an, it's an obligation, not an option. God has spoken. You obey your parents because God says so. Amen, children? <laughs> They're actually probably drawing illustrations of the sermon right now. You know, and some children do that. I'll come up and they, they, they drew out the whole sermon. I, I'm serious. It's amazing to me. It's amazing. Some kid counted, what was it, a few weeks ago. What was I preaching out of, Richard? Rita, what was it? What? Oh, the name of the Lord. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. He counted how many times I said name. How many times you think? 145. He checked them all off, all the way down the road. 145. I said name. So just because their heads are down doesn't mean they're not paying attention. Now, undisciplined children oftentimes grow up to be undisciplined adults. Amen? And that spells ruin for a society. And a church. Discipline works. The world will tell you it doesn't. God says it does. It does work. Okay, now, moving from children to we adults. Oftentimes we misread this command is only addressing young children. Right? And we just... Go read commandment five, junior. That's not all that is meant. Now, the authority of parents changes once the children move out of the home, amen? And they establish their own homes. They're to separate themselves from their parents. They're to raise their own families now in Christ. Yet, they do not cease to show honor and respect to those parents. And we will have duties in their latter years in order to show honor. Some of you are caring for parents right now. Some of you have in the past months or, or years cared for your elderly parents, and you know it can be hard. Amen? It can be very difficult. And it reminds you, if you've had children, of the stresses involved in raising a bunch of young ones. The problem is your parents who are elderly can disobey and talk back. They can disagree with you. Not disobey, disagree, we'll call it that. So the situation can be extremely stressful. Many of you know this. But I want you to notice how Jesus applies this command in Matthew chapter 15 as he exposes more of the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. Verse 1, chapter 15, Matthew's account of the gospel. Then the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, Why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But you say, If anyone tells his father and mother um, what you would have gained from me, well, um, I've offered that to God. He, 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 he need not honor his father. This is what they were teaching. So for the sake of your tradition, you've made void the word of God. You hypocrites. Will did Isaiah prophesy of you? 
when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. The situation is that the Pharisees were hassling Jesus' disciples because they weren't washing their hands before they ate and it had nothing to do with dirt or germs. It had everything to do with pious ceremony and letting the water drip off of their elbows as they raised their hands. It was a show. Traditions of the rabbis, traditions of the men of the day. So Jesus' response is quite clear. Why do you teach your disciples to disobey the law of God by this Corbin vow that you've come up with? Which was to say, hey, mom and dad, look, I know you need care right now, but I can't give you any support because, well, I got to support God's work down at the temple. Okay, you know, that'd be like you, one of you saying, um, mom, dad, you know, I know you need some care right now, but I'm giving my money to the Pacific Hope Church Building Fund. Sorry. You know, I'm pretty spiritual. Jesus said, you're a bunch of hypocrites to the Pharisees, and you're misleading the people. You're violating God's law. You see this principle that care is to be given for elderly parents in Paul's instructions to Timothy? 1 Timothy chapter 5. If a widow has a child or children, so within the church, if, if a man dies and here's this widow that's left, let them first, if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he's denied the faith. He's worse than an unbeliever. So the responsibility of caring for the elderly loved ones, it's not the church's responsibility. Of course, the church may help, but the primary responsibility is the children and grandchildren of those elderly parents. You know, you can, I've seen illust, you know, illustrations of this show up like this. I've met Christians, they have unbelieving parents. They're always preaching the gospel to them. They'll come over to their house, bring them a CD. Hey, you have to listen to this. Nothing wrong with that. They'll leave a gospel tract on the coffee table or some literature stuffed under some ashtray or something. And the sad thing is, though they're always preaching the gospel to them, it's the pagan brother or sister who drives them to the doctor, who helps hold them up, who provides monetary needs for them, and it's not the Christian. So the fifth command says, Christians should be the best visitors of parents who are in long-term care, the first that are willing to help, most prepared with resources to assist them. This is what we're taught here. So of all people, Christians should be the ones who uphold the honor and dignity of old age. Amen? Listen to this uh, Grim Brothers fairy tale. It kind of drives home the point. The old man and his grandson. There once was a very old man whose eyes had become dim, his ears dull of hearing, his knees trembled, and when he sat at the table, he could hardly hold the spoon and spilt the broth upon the tablecloth, or it ran down his mouth. 
Now, his son and his son's wife, who cared for him, were disgusted at this point. So the old grandfather, at last, had to sit in the corner behind the stove. They gave him his food in a clay bowl. As he used to look towards the table with eyes full of tears. Once, too, his trembling hands could not hold the bowl and fell to the ground, and it broke. The young wife scolded him and said, he said nothing in return but only sighed. Then they brought him a wooden bowl, out of which he ate like eating out of a trough. Well, they were once sitting when their young son of four years old began to gather together some bits of wood on the ground. Uh, What are you doing there, asked the father. Well, I'm making a little trough, answered the child, for you and mother to eat out of when I'm big. The man and his wife looked at each other for a while, presently began to cry, took hold of grandfather, brought him to the table, and henceforth always let him eat with them, and likewise said nothing if he did spill a little of anything. Amen. So it's good for us, beloved Christian, to ask, does my relationship to my parents bring glory to God? In other words, am I obeying the fifth commandment? Well, in reality, we've all failed, amen? We've all failed in keeping the fifth commandment. No one is perfect. There is no perfect son. There is no perfect child but one. The Son of God. Jesus the Christ. Your Savior. My Savior. To illustrate this, as I prepare to close, think about it. Jesus, 12 years old, travels to Passover with his family. Mom and dad, they get to Jerusalem, they celebrate Passover, they leave, they travel back home. Joseph is thinking he's back with Mary and the women. Mary's thinking that that he's up with Joseph and the men. They travel in large companies, they travel a full day, they get to camp, and they discover, ay, 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 Jesus isn't here. They travel a full day back. They look all over town. They finally enter into the temple. There's Jesus speaking with the leaders and the teachers and the scribes of the day, asking questions, leaving them in awe. And he says, the parents show up. Oh, the trouble you've caused us, son. Jesus answered, did you not know I must be about my father's business? Perfectly obedient to God? You better believe it. The scripture says, nevertheless, he returned to Nazareth with them and submitted himself to their authority. Showing what? Honor and reverence for his earthly parents. So here, the sinless one submits himself to sinners. The sinless son of God submits himself to the authority of two sinners. Joseph, Mary. Yes, Mary was a sinner. She confessed that herself in her glorious song. Referring to her son as her what? Savior. At the end of his life, hanging on a wooden Roman cross, there he is. He looks down. There's his mother. There's John, the beloved one. John 19, 26. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. He wasn't referring to himself. He's looking at John. Woman, behold your son. 
Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his home. Mary was obviously widowed at this time. We haven't heard from Joseph since the last since that Luke 2 account, Jesus hangs upon the cross, and here he makes arrangements for the care of his mother before he died. Remarkable. Jesus did not neglect in obeying any part of the fifth commandment. He subjected himself to the authority of Pilate, to the corrupt, crooked religious leaders. Amen? For you. Because you have failed and I have failed. Honoring and revering God, his father, in perfect obedience to the law. So, friends, if you find yourself, you're here this morning, you're not in Christ, this is new to you. You've been inwardly examined by God's word. You've been brought to the place of admittance of your guilt before God. Then there's only one place for you to go. And it's not to the fifth commandment. It's to Christ. who upheld the fifth commandment and every other commandment, and then laid himself down and gave himself up on a wooden cross and shed his blood to cover the failures and the sins of those who put their faith and trust to him. And then the scripture tells us, by faith and trust in him, all of his righteousness is transferred to your account. So you're going to be able to stand before God as not guilty. Right there. Pray, ask him to revive your soul, to give you life, to cleanse you of your sin. Beg his forgiveness and the provision of his perfect righteousness in your place. And if there's true repentance, a turning from rebellion and a turning to the obedient, perfect, holy son of God, the Bible says you shall be saved. So if you're an unbeliever here today, turn to him. Jesus came to die, to hang on a cross, to absorb God's wrath against dishonor, against disrespect for parents and for all authority. He came for disobedience. As we work our way down through the Ten Commandments, Jesus died for the breaking of the Fifth Commandment. Jesus died for adultery. He died for thievery. He died for lying. He died for covet, a covetous people. He died for homosexuality. That is the homosexual who repents, the adulterer who repents. He died. Your only hope is him. Call on him now. For tomorrow you may not have the chance. And finally for you, believers, Christians, if you're feeling the weight of guilt because of sin in your life, if you've lived the life of the prodigal, you've been running, there's only one place to go. Back to Christ. Back to Christ and receive afresh his forgiveness and his cleansing and his strengthening. Amen? And then you can stand in the position you have of perfect righteousness and then by his grace and the power of the Holy Spirit, practically walk it out. Amen? Because Christ has done it all. Therefore, he enables us to do it, to show honor where honor is due. Reverence and respect. Where it's due, we give it because it's delegated by him. Amen? For the glory of the name.